I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me once again to the book of Hebrews. And this morning we are in chapter 7. So the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, we're going to read from verses 11 to 28. And when you find that, would you rise out of reverence for God's holy word? We rise because we recognize that this is not a book like any other. This is a divine book. This is the revelation of God himself through his Holy Spirit as he worked on on human uh, capabilities to bring exactly what he wanted to be revealed to humanity, no more and no less. And so let us read once again Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Hear the word of God. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the majestic word of God. You may be seated. This morning we are studying 
Hebrews chapter 7, and it's actually part 2 of, of what we started last week. Part 1 was where we looked at Melchizedek, and going back to the book of Genesis, we saw where this, this figure, Melchizedek, came from. And so we were laying the foundation for understanding how Jesus fulfills the type that Melchizedek had provided, and Jesus is the reality of that shadow. So we laid that foundation last week, and so today we are continuing in part two of chapter seven, and I've entitled this sermon, The Priestly Order of Melchizedek, because now Hebrews is going to expand upon this foundation, and he is going to show us how Jesus not only fulfills the type that Melchizedek had had um, provided, but how he how he supersedes it in a certain way. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to ask a question this morning as we begin. Do you have a settled conscience before God? Do you have a settled conscience before God? This is related to something we had talked about uh, a few weeks ago, and that is, do you have peace with God? What does it mean to truly have peace with God? The Bible describes us in our, our state apart from Christ. It describes us as enemies of God. It describes us as hostile towards God. It describes us as enslaved to sin and in rebellion against God. So there is no peace between the sinner and the righteous and holy God. But as believers, we do have peace with God. That peace, that means now hostilities have ceased because now we have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and we are now on God's side. We are his allies and his friends. And so we have that peace. And scripture says that that peace can only be, can only happen through justification by faith. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we now have peace. We now have shalom with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so those two things are obviously related. But do you have a settled conscience before God? Because when we attempt to earn God's favor by our good works, by trying to obey the, the good deeds that the law prescribes, we will never have a settled conscience. Because every day we will fail God's perfect standards. And so every day we will fall back into guilt again, again, and again, and again. And our conscience will never be settled. And that's why we need the promise of the gospel. Because what the gospel does, when we truly understand it, the gospel settles our conscience. It settles our conscience in terms of the guilt we have over sin. That yes, when we continue to stumble and fail as Christians, we will have guilt. We will have that shame. But it is not the same as when we are apart from God. It will be different because now, on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, we have a settled Conscience, And that's what we're going to unpack eventually as we study uh, Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. This morning we're going to look at our passage in four sections, four points. 
We're going to begin by looking at verses 11 to 14. The point there that we will see is that there has been a change in the priesthood. A change in the priesthood. And then we're going to look at verses 15 to 19. We're going to look at how Jesus provides a better hope. A better hope. Then thirdly, we're going to look at verses 20 to 25, which is a key section in this chapter. We're going to look at the eternal intercession that our high priest provides. Eternal intercession. And finally, the fourth section will be verses 26 to 28. There is only one perfect sacrifice. And that's what we'll get into a little bit of this business of having a settled conscience before God. Now, if you notice, as we were reading through, this is one of those parts in Hebrews where we have to concentrate and pay attention and and really put our thinking caps on because this is one of those dense passages. So I'm going to do my best to unpack it for us. And I pray that the The Lord will be gracious to all of us as we worship the Lord together in the study of his word. So let's begin this morning by taking a look at our first point this morning, where Hebrews highlights that there has been a change in the priesthood. He has just spent the first 10 verses of of this chapter talking about Melchizedek, as we looked at last week. And his whole point there has been that the Melchizedekian priesthood is superior to the Levitical priesthood. And it is here in verse 11 that now Hebrews explicitly says this. Look with me at verse 11. He says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron. So in this verse, Hebrews is essentially saying this. If the Levitical priesthood set in place by the law of Moses was good enough, if it was good enough, if it could actually do what it was supposed to do, if it could actually make people perfect, if it could actually offer satisfactory sacrifices before God that made people righteous and appeased his wrath completely, if it could actually do that, then there would be no need for Psalm 110 to talk about another priest coming in a different order, not the order of Aaron, but rather in the priestly order of Melchizedek. But if indeed another priest is supposed to come, then what is implied there? It's implied that there's something wrong with the Levitical priesthood. There's something insufficient. There's something not quite good enough. I'm sure you've heard the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But Hebrews is saying here that if a new high priest has to come to fix things, then that indicates that there was something broke that needed to be fixed. But more than fixed, it needed to be superseded. There had to be a change now in priesthood. But the problem went even deeper than this. Look at what Hebrews says really bluntly a little further down. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me for a moment. He says that the the commandment was set aside. Why? Because it is weak and useless. Whoa! That is a shocking statement. 
But then Hebrews goes even further in verse 19. He says, the law made nothing perfect. What? The law makes nothing perfect? Then how can we be saved through the law? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, that we had to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the fact is that we cannot be saved through the law because the law makes nothing perfect. It cannot, it cannot perfect us. It can only condemn us. It can only show us our sin. It can only show us how bad and imperfect we are. Paul said in Romans 3 verse 20 that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the law makes nothing perfect. And so the Levitical priesthood does not offer perfection, since it can only offer up imperfect sacrifices. And that is why there was need for a change in the priesthood. That is why there was need for another priest to come a priest from a different order, a priest who could bring perfection. So verses 12 to 14, for when the, there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served from the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So in verse 12, Hebrews says that for there to be a change in the priesthood, for a new order of priest to arise, there must be a change in the law as well. And so basically there he's using the language of constitutional amendment. If you remember as a church family, we made an amendment to our constitution in the fall. In order to change our governing structure from one elder plus a board of deacons to a plurality of elders in accordance with scripture, there had to be a change in our church law, that is, in our constitution. And so we passed an amendment in order to make that change. And Hebrews is making a similar point here. For, for in order for Jesus to be a legitimate priest, the law had to be amended. The law of Moses said that only men from the tribe of Levi could serve as priests, more specifically from the family line of Aaron. So for a high priest to be legitimate, a priest not from the tribe of Levi, not from the house of Aaron, an amendment to the law must necessarily accompany the change. And of course, the Lord Jesus was clearly a descendant from the tribe of Judah. So under the law of Moses, he was disqualified from serving as a priest in the order of Aaron. But you know what? When Psalm 110 talks about a priest after the order of Melchizedek, that statement there functions as an amendment to the law. Messiah will not just be a king, it says, but he will also be an eternal high priest. For God has amended the law to allow for a new priesthood to arise. And so this is our first point this morning, that there has been a change in priesthood, the law was amended in Psalm 110 to allow for a new high priest to come. The Levitical priesthood could not perfect anyone. 
And so a new priesthood was needed to come and get the job done. And the application for us from this first point is that we needed perfection. It is only through perfection that we can see a perfect God and stand in his holy presence. For God himself is perfect and anything less than perfection cannot be with him. And we cannot possibly perfect ourselves. We cannot possibly depend upon ourselves for none of us is perfect. But we cannot depend upon the law either. For it cannot perfect us either. We need a perfect high priest with a perfect sacrifice in order to stand before a perfect God. Our second point this morning is that we have a better hope. This is verses 15 to 19. Verses 15 and 16 say, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. So Jesus has come, and he perfectly qualifies for the priesthood of Melchizedek. And the connection between Christ and Melchizedek is not based on physical descent. It's not as though Jesus was, was a descendant from Melchizedek, king of Salem. And it's not based on some legal requirement either. Instead, Jesus qualifies for the high priesthood in the order of Melchizedek due to the power of his indestructible life. Melchizedek was the type. He was the shadow. But Jesus Christ is the reality. Now, how does Jesus have an indestructible life? Well, obviously, it was because death could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. Sheol could not stop him. And the tomb could not impede him. Remember what scripture says. No one took Jesus' life away from him. He laid, he laid it down of his own accord. He was the one who laid it down. And he was the one who took it up again. John 10 says, for Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my own life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus had an indestructible life. That is, it was unable to be destroyed. He raised himself up from death. And that is why he qualifies to be the great eternal Melchizedekian high priest. So we continue in verse 17. It says, For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. What is this commandment that has been set aside? In verse 18, well, it's the commandment regarding the ordination of Levitical priests. The whole priesthood was weak. The whole priesthood was useless. Because, or why? Because it offered up weak and useless sacrifices before God that could not truly bring perfection. 
So what does that mean? It means that the whole priesthood, the whole temple system associated with it needed to be set aside because something better had now come. A better hope has been introduced. It is better because it is perfect. It is a sure and certain expectation that we can draw near to God. That seems like such a, an innocent little phrase there. Draw near to God. That actually means everything. Drawing near to God is the difference between heaven and hell. Those who draw near to God are entering into his heavenly presence. Those who do not draw near to God are under his wrath. And they will spend eternity in hell, scripture testifies. The application for us to take away from all this is, is that not only do we have a better hope, but we have a sure hope of drawing near to God. We have a sure hope of drawing near to God. Imagine what it would be like to be under the old covenant. You would always be shaking like a leaf in the wind. Will I be able to draw near to God? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Have I made enough sacrifices? Are, are the sacrifices I'm offering, are they good enough? You would never have a settled conscience. You'd always be in a state of worry and anxiety that you won't be good enough or that you won't have done enough in order to draw near to God. But when we have a perfect high priest who has offered a perfect sacrifice, then we can indeed have a settled conscience. For it is not that I have done enough, but rather it is trusting that he has done enough. We can lay down our worry and anxiety because he is perfect. And he has offered a perfect sacrifice. And he has done so perfectly. Such that we can draw near to God through faith in him. Such that we can enter into God's perfect presence with confidence. We have a better hope. So the change in priesthood, that was point one, means that we have a better hope. That's point number two. So this brings us to our third point this morning, looking at verses 20 to 25, where we're talking about eternal intercession. Let's look at verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So Jesus represents a better priesthood, a better hope. And now in this section, we see that he is the guarantor of a better covenant. It is a better covenant because it is undergirded by nothing less than the very oath of the living God himself. A couple of weeks ago in, in chapter 6, we saw how God not only promised salvation through Jesus Christ, but the God who cannot lie also went above and beyond that promise by even guaranteeing that promise with an oath in order to give us a double assurance that what God has promised 
he will most certainly accomplish. Verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. One of the major problems or major weaknesses of the old Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament was that the high priestly office was continually interrupted by death. The high priest would make intercession through offering sacrifices for the length of his life, and then he would die. And then one of his sons would take over, and that son would continue on, but then he would die. And so one of his sons would have to continue on, and so on and so forth. It was not one single unbroken line of intercession. Instead, it was continually being broken. And so there were many, many high priests serving over the years, each replacing the one who had come before him. But in contrast, here Hebrews is saying that that Jesus Christ is the great high priest who holds his Melchizedekian priesthood permanently because he lives forever and ever. There is no break in his priestly service, which means no discontinuity in his intercession because he never dies. Therefore, his intercession is continual and consistent. So we come to verse 25. This is a key verse. This is a key verse in chapter 7. This is one of the key verses in all the book of Hebrews. This is a verse that is worth memorizing. Because of Christ's permanent high priesthood, he is able to save to the uttermost. What a beautiful word that is. We don't use that word much anymore. Uttermost. Some of your Bibles may say forever. He's able to save forever. Or it may say completely. He's able to save completely. Literally, this word here means to full perfection. To full perfection. And we've been seeing the concept of perfection throughout this passage. We've seen that the Levitical priesthood was not perfect because it was made up of imperfect men who offered imperfect sacrifices. We've seen how the law made nothing perfect. But here, here is a perfect high priest who is able to save to full perfection, it says here. To the uttermost, completely, forever, he saves those who draw near to God on the basis of his mediation. But we ask ourselves, how? How can Jesus save to full perfection? Because not only has he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, but he always lives to intercede before God the Father as a mediator on the basis of that perfect sacrifice. 
So he has offered the sacrifice, and now he has sat down at the right hand of God, and he is continuing to intercede on the basis of that sacrifice. And I encourage all of us to meditate and reflect deeply upon this. Jesus Christ has saved his sheep to full perfection, to the uttermost. What a comfort that is. What assurance. But even more than that, he is presently, right now, interceding on our behalf before the Father. That means when we as Christians mess up and fail and stumble and sin, and then we repent and seek God's forgiveness, we don't need another sacrifice for that sin. Because Jesus, our high priest, is interceding for us before the Father on the basis of his perfect once-for-all sacrifice made upon the cross. It is like Jesus is constantly reminding his Father of his sacrifice that satisfied all of God's righteous wrath. And so when as a Christian I fall into sin through my struggle with the flesh, I can be confident of forgiveness because I know that I have a permanent high priest who is interceding for me. I do not have to fear that God's wrath is going to flare up again at me for my sin because the sacrifice of Christ has appeased the wrath of God for all time. Now, of course, this does not give us license to then go out and multiply sin because it's all covered under Christ's intercession. What an ungrateful and unloving response to Jesus Christ that would be. Instead, this idea is a, a source of full assurance that when I stumble and fall into sin as a Christian, I have the accuser whispering condemnation and guilt into my ear, but I have an answer ready for him. That my great, pre, my great high priest has saved me to full perfection. And I can draw near to God in repentance. For my great high priest is presently interceding for me right now before God. And that's why the Apostle Paul can also say in, verse, in Romans chapter 8. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to, who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised. Listen to this. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The author of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul 
may have been the same person, may have been different. If it's just him or it's they, they understand the same principle. We have a perfect Savior, a perfect sacrifice, and he is a high priest who is interceding for us even now. So we've looked at a change in the priesthood. That was point number one, a better hope. We've just looked at eternal intercession. And finally, our fourth section, our fourth point today is that there is only one perfect sacrifice. Look with me at verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This whole chapter, chapter 7, it's been about contrasts, comparing the difference between the Levitical high priesthood and the high priestly office of Christ Jesus. And it's in these last verses, this last section, that the contrast is made the most clear. So verse 26 emphasizes the purity and the holiness of our high priest, reminding us again that he was without sin. and He is exalted to the highest heaven. He is therefore fully separated from anything remotely resembling sin. He is completely holy and completely perfect. And so he is truly acceptable by God the Father to be in his presence. But then in verse 27, another problem is highlighted. Another problem with the Levitical priesthood. What's the problem? It was made up of sinful men. They were high priests who had to offer sacrifices for themselves first and then for the people. And they had to do this day after day after day because sin never stopped. And so the sacrifices never stopped. Oh, I just sinned. I have to go get that goat and slit its throat and burn it on the altar. Oh, I just sinned again. I have to go get that lamb now, cut its throat, burn it on the altar. Oh, I just sinned again. I have to go get that bull now. I have to cut its neck, burn it on the altar. Oh, nuts. I just sinned again. And so on. And so on and on and on and on without end. Blood was always flowing day in and day out because imperfect sacrifices made by imperfect men accomplished nothing to do away with sin. But what did Jesus do? It says here that he did this once for all when he offered up himself. And so a perfect man offered up a perfect sacrifice himself. And because of that perfection, it never, ever needs to be repeated. If it were ever repeated, then it was not perfect in the first place. Because it is fully perfect, it will not and it cannot 
be repeated. It is a once for all time sacrifice. And you know what? This right here, this is one of the central truths of God's word that the early Protestants died for when they were burnt at the stake as heretics. Because when a Christian would be in prison waiting to be executed, a Roman Catholic priest would come into that jail cell and that priest would beg the Christian to eat just a single wafer taken from the Catholic Mass. That's all they had to do. All the Christian had to do was eat that morsel of bread and he could go free. He would be released. He would not have to die. And why did that matter so much? Because the bread of the Catholic Mass represents a repeated sacrifice. A recapitulated, reenacted, re-perpetuated sacrifice. And so by eating that bread, the Christian would be saying that Christ on the cross did not, in fact, accomplish a once-for-all sacrifice, but a repeatable and therefore imperfect sacrifice that needed to be performed over and over again. But the Christian would refuse the bread of the Mass and go to his or her death. Why? Because the Christian would rather place his trust in the once-for-all sacrifice of the perfect high priest made at Calvary rather than trusting in the repeated sacrifices of the Roman Catholic Mass. So this is why, as Christians, we absolutely reject the Mass. For it is not just wrong and anti-scriptural, but it also turns people away from the truth of the gospel. For it turns Jesus Christ into an imperfect high priest who offered an imperfect sacrifice on the cross that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. But instead, according to scripture, according to Hebrews chapter 7, we have the Son of God, fully God and fully man. And as a man, he was made perfect through his obedient suffering. And so he is a perfect high priest and a perfect mediator for as man, he represents us to God and God the Father, and as God, he represents the Father to us. And his sacrifice never needs to be repeated because it was a once-for-all-time sacrifice. This is the very heart of the gospel. Salvation comes through trusting in him, through clinging to him, to clinging to this once-for-all sacrifice made by this perfect high priest. This sacrifice alone is the basis of his eternal intercession. This sacrifice alone settles our conscience before God. This sacrifice alone purchases peace with God. And this sacrifice alone satisfies the righteous wrath of God over sin. And this sacrifice alone grants us access into the presence of a holy God to enjoy him forever. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And we tremble before it. Father, this 
study this morning has been a dense one. There's so much packed into these verses, so much about what Hebrews is telling us about who Jesus Christ is as our high priest. And Father, we have, we have done our best to, to follow the line of reasoning here. How Hebrews has told us that there needed to be a change in the priesthood so that we could have a better hope, so that we could have a high priest who makes eternal intercession, and so that we could have someone who has gone before us into your presence, a perfect one, an innocent one, who truly fulfills the obligations of high priesthood. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us today. I pray that we meditate upon these things very deeply. When things are, are difficult or dense, it is easy to leave them alone and, and not touch them. But, Father, I pray that we would reflect upon the meaning of what it means that we have a once-for-all-time sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice made by a perfect high priest who did it perfectly, so that we could stand perfected before a perfect and holy God. Father, this is the gospel. So many people we know, Father, are, are laboring under the misunderstanding that, that you allow semi-perfect or, or half-good people into your presence. But your word testifies that not even the smallest stain of sin will be allowed into your holy presence. And therefore, apart from Christ, not one of us will be able to approach you or draw near to you. Instead, we will be under your righteous wrath for all eternity. But it is only those who have trusted in the perfect name of Jesus Christ, in his perfect sacrifice, that can then approach you and stand before you, not standing in our own perfection, but standing in his and so, Father, it is my prayer that if there is anyone here who is not a believer and yet has been convicted by these things today, that today would be the day of repentance and genuine faith placed in Jesus Christ, in his name alone, in his sacrifice alone. And for those of us who are believers this morning, Father, I pray for each one of us that the gospel would become central in our lives. That as we seek to understand it, as we seek to love and grow in the knowledge of our great high priest, we would have a settled conscience, that we would not be overburdened, overwhelmed with grief or guilt or shame, because we know that not only do we have a high priest who has offered a perfect sacrifice, but we have one who is presently, right now, interceding for us, on our behalf, so we can run back to him every time in repentance, seeking forgiveness. So, Father, may that be a great comfort and assurance to our souls as we live out our daily lives. We pray, Father, that your comfort and peace that transcends all understanding would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and all these things. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.